Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. I know, I mean, apparently, I, we shouldn't be surprised it is Minnesota after all, but wow, winter has seemingly finally arrived. So thank you for bra- braving the cold uh, to be here. It's always good to, to be with you. I, I, you might not remember this, and for some of you that, that weren't here then, I had a pretty serious surgery a few years ago. And that surgery was to fix something that happened a few years before that that should have been a simple take your appendix out type situation, but I'm that guy. The, well, this never happens uh, guy. And so I had to have a kind of a fixer-upper surgery to try to put Humpty Dumpty back together uh, a few years after that. So... I went, and this was, because it was complicated, I went around and I talked to people and I said, well, you know, we're only an hour and a half away from Mayo. I'm going to Mayo. So I went to Mayo, met this surgeon. Even he was like, I've been doing this for 30 years and I've never seen this. And I've only operated on these things. And so I'm like, well, that's, I, do I get a prize or something? Nothing. <laughs> so he says, look, I'm really only comfortable doing this surgery in a way that's going to give you the best possible chance for a good outcome. And that is going to mean that you need to lose weight. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, no problem. He says, "Uh, we need you to lose weight. It'll give you a better chance of success. Uh, And so I said, well, I'm I'm determined to get this done. So uh, let's just book the surgery for 60 days from now. And then uh, I'll come back and then we'll just get it taken care of. All right. Okay. So I got to work. Sort of. I mean, I read a lot of tips and tricks on how to lose weight. I, I joined some, some Facebook groups and some forums on weight loss. I, I even went out and I bought a bike and I promised myself I was going to ride it every day. And, and then I spent some time and I wrote like inspirational quotes on little post-it notes and I, I put them on the mirror around there so I, I would really be inspired every day. And oh man, it was going to be great. Now, so I, to my credit, did lose maybe five-ish pounds. So imagine, thank you. So imagine my surprise when I went back to, the, to have the surgery and the surgeon walks in and looks at me, well, what happened? And I'm like, pretty good, I know. And he's like, no, you obviously did not understand what I meant by this. You, you need to take this seriously. You, you, and then he gave me a really stern command. Do not come back here until you've lost the weight. No excuses. And so I don't, now you might not be able to relate to all of those particular circumstances, but I guarantee you there's something in your life where you have needed to make a change or you know you should make a change and you're confronted with the reality that this change needs to happen, but it doesn't seem to happen. You can't seem to will your way into making the change that is needed. For me, I had to come face to face with the fact that I was more in love with the idea of losing weight than I was interested in the experience of actually doing it. And doesn't that sum up a lot of our culture and the way we think today? We, we want the prize, we want the goodies, but we don't really want to pay the cost to actually experience it for real. And so we try to make ourselves and 
and our things and all these kinds of uh, situations to, to look as good as they can and we just sort of hope that nobody will notice. Well, I didn't have the surgery that day, obviously. He said, this is not gonna work and he sent me on my way. And so I, I knew at that moment that I needed to get out of the stands and into the game. I needed to stop being a spectator and start actually participating in the experience. I need, needed to stop just being focused on the idea and actually live the experience of doing it. So, so what about you? What, what, what in your life ha has this kind of thing happened or how has this kind of happened for you? Now, we're, we're close enough to the beginning of the year that I guess I could bring up New Year's resolutions, right? If you can even remember what they are, because the reality is, unless you're a statistical anomaly, you've already moved on and probably forgotten about what you even committed to. Because, now there are always exceptions, I'm not saying that, but it's really, really hard when the odds are stacked against us. Human nature is such that even if we want to do something, if we're gonna make a major life change, the idea of doing it with our own strength and willpower and trying to get it done ourselves is really, really, really small. And when it comes to faith and the kind of life of faith that God wants for each of us, doing it through our own willpower is actually impossible. We cannot will our way into the life of faith that God is calling us into. It just... It just doesn't happen. We need, for that, we need outside help. We need uh, div divine intervention. And we also need to realize that faith follows Jesus. Faith follows Jesus. And we're gonna talk more about what that means, but I wanna start right off by saying that faith is, is not an idea. Faith is not a concept. It's not even something that we can, you know, sort of, well, I'm just gonna make a decision to agree with who Jesus is and then just stop there. Jesus wants more for us than that. Of course, believing the good news of Jesus Christ is always the first step and that comes to us, it's freely given by God's grace. And we are saved and we are brought into community and the relationship with God is restored. But Jesus has more for us, he says, not just believe in me, he also says, follow me. And following Jesus means that we will experience things that we don't necessarily want to experience. For me, the weight loss uh, piece of it was I knew in order for it to really happen, I would have to make major changes in my life. I would have to move from just thinking about it conceptually to actually experiencing what it's like. And I knew that that would be difficult and therefore uh, I wasn't really crazy about that. Now, how many times do we do that in our life of faith where we just sort of sit back and say, well, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be a follower, but maybe more times than we want to admit, we think of following Jesus like we think of following somebody on Twitter or Instagram or, or Facebook is not the kind of following that Jesus has in mind at all. So the question we're going to just get at over and over again 
is will you actually follow Jesus? Will you follow him? Because if it's true that we will, and we, it's more than just saying we will, then things have to change. Before we get into that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together. We just ask now in these moments that you reveal truth to us, that you, that you actually do even more than that. Not just give us the truth, but make the truth alive in us. Shine the light of who Jesus is in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, and help us radiate that light of hope to other people. Lord, we ask that you raise us to new life. Put the old to death and raise us to the new. Just like your promise says over and over again, when we follow you, you will do amazing things. You will make a way where there is no way. And so, Lord, we surrender this time to you. We just ask that you reveal the truth that each of us needs to hear in the way that we need to hear it so that we might leave changed forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we continue our foundation series, if you were here last week, we started a new series. It's going to last for an awfully long time. I'm really excited about it. We're going through the gospel of John. And so, shocker, we're still in John chapter 1. So we're in John chapter one, but we've moved on now to verse 35 is where we're going to pick this up. Now, uh, this, I'm, I'm just, i tell you what, I'm going to read this first and then we'll go back and start seeing what we might be able to learn uh, about what it means to follow Jesus because there's some really good stuff in here. So let's just read this uh, together. The words will be on the screen too if you don't have a Bible. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. And so, like I mentioned, this takes place right after this whole encounter with John the Baptist. We called him John the Witness. If you were here before Christmas, it was, I think, the week before 
the week of Christmas. How about that? And we talked about John, this man named John, who's not the same person as the John who wrote the gospel of John, but it's this man who was sent from God named John to point the way to Jesus. He came to be a witness to the light who is Jesus. And so uh, this is happening right after that whole encounter. And I don't know if you heard this, but there's this language that's repeated. It's right before uh, where we picked up our scripture today. But in verse 29, John says to his followers, his disciples, because he had people that followed him and were in tune, lived with him, studied with him. And, and, and John had, had told these folks, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's in verse 29. He points to Jesus and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we see the same thing happen again in verse 36. Look, the Lamb of God. So John continues to point people to Jesus. And here's the thing. When people of that, especially the, Jew, the Jewish folks that were there in the audience that would have heard this, would have, it would have meant something very specific to them. Because in the Jewish sacrificial system, at the temple, there was a, a one-year-old perfect lamb that was sacrificed in the morning and then again in the evening every day to atone for people's sin. And so for John the witness to use this language, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that would have been startling for two reasons. Number one, well, wait a minute, the Lamb of God is different than the Lamb that we know is being sacrificed. So there's something going on there. And then also who takes away the sin of the world. Wait a minute. We're talking about sacrificing a one-year-old lamb twice a day to atone for sin. What do you mean this lamb of God takes away the sin of the world? And so, of course, everybody's ears would have perked up when they heard this. But most especially, the people that were interested were John's disciples, the ones who John had been saying over and over and over again, he is coming, he is coming, this promised one, this Messiah, this King of Israel, he is coming, he is coming, he is coming. And then all of a sudden, the language changes and it's, look, there he is, there he is. And so, of course, his disciples are curious. That's what I want us to notice here. His disciples, these two disciples are curious. They want to know more about who this Jesus is. They've heard a lot about who Jesus is, but now they want to know more. They're curious. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you know something about Jesus. Maybe you know a lot about Jesus, but maybe you're curious about Jesus and you want to know more. And so maybe they started following him, but they were doing it at a distance. I think this is funny because it's like, maybe they were like CIA type spies, you know, trying not to look, but wanting to see, you know, what's really going on. But of course, Jesus doesn't fall for that. In true Jesus style, he turns right around and <laughs> asks him in, uh, in uh, verse 38, what do you want? I love it. Some translations say, you know, what are you looking for? Well, maybe that's nicer, but I like what do you want? What do you want? And so in true, you know, it's always fun to answer a question with a question. They spit it out. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? They, they don't even actually answer the question, but what they do is in their own question, they say, we think there's something that you can teach us. We want to know you, but we, we don't want to just know you from a distance. 
We don't want to just keep following you as we observe you. We want to be with you. We want to go with you. This question about where are you staying is essentially, can we go with you? Is it okay if we come with you wherever you're going? And so if you're today, if you're here and you're curious, I want you to hear this. Jesus is calling you right now just as much as he was calling these disciples. Look at uh, verse 39. Jesus says this, come, he replied, and you will see. Come and see. We don't often understand the depth of truth that's just contained in those three words. But I want you to think about this. From a curious standpoint, if you're someone who's curious about Jesus, maybe you're not in a, a relationship with him at this point, you've not experienced him or encountered him in a way that is personal, you've not made a personal connection with Jesus, maybe you're just more of an, an observer at this particular point, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves the same question that Jesus asks these two disciples following after him. Why are you looking to Jesus? Why are you looking to Jesus? Doesn't matter where you are in your life right now. If you're looking to Jesus, can you answer that question? Why? Why are you looking to him? What, what do you hope for by following him? Why are you looking to Jesus? So Jesus says, come and see. He makes that invitation you want to know where I'm going? You want to know what it's like to be with me? You want to know what it's like to, to experience me? Then come and see. And so he invites them to come and see. And that's the first part of, uh, of this verse. But then those three words, come and see, are obviously very important. But then there are three more words that are even more arresting, more, I would say, important, more... Uh, attention grabbing. And here they are. You ready? So they went. So they went. You see, it's not just enough for Jesus to invite them and they, them to then say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm good. I'll be over here. You'll be over there. No, they went. So they went with Jesus. They experienced Jesus. They knew what it was then like to encounter this, this living promise, the light of the world in the flesh. The word became flesh and they wanted to go with him. So they went to be with him because that's the kind of faith that follows Jesus. Faith that follows Jesus goes after him, follows him, experiences him, encounters him. And so we don't know exactly, doesn't tell us exactly what they did or, or where even precisely they went or what they talked about or what experience they had together. But what we do know is that it was enough, whatever happened, it was enough that these two disciples hit the streets and they're ready to tell somebody about it. Because that's one of the things about when you have a, a real and true encounter and experience with Jesus, you want to tell somebody else about it. And so it says right here, Andrew... The first thing, look at verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah, which is the Christ. And he brought him 
to Jesus. Now, this is interesting because it teaches us a couple of really significant things. The first is what I just said. When we encounter Jesus, when we experience Jesus, we want to tell someone else about it. The hope that comes into us, the light that has been shown into us then needs to radiate out. It's, this is not something that's just meant for us and us alone. It's meant that we can share it with others. And so who are those people in your life that are closest to you? In this particular case, we see Andrew goes to his brother. Well, yeah, think about your family experience. How, how quickly does it get pretty quiet when we start talking about faith a lot of times? Especially you start getting groups of bigger extended family together. People start asking questions. It's amazing how quiet it all of a sudden gets. Why don't we want to talk about it? Why don't we want to share our experience? Why are we so reluctant to do it? Well, most of the time it's because we're afraid of what somebody might think. We're afraid of what somebody might say. But in this particular case, we don't see that at all. We see Andrew who goes right to his brother, Simon, and says, come and see. And that's the second little piece of that, is that we also see that there's an invitation. So that the invitation not, is not just for the disciples, from Jesus to the disciples, but then the invitation gets extended from Andrew to Peter. And that's the way the gospel spreads most effectively all the time. It's through personal connection. It's through the people that God puts in our life, in our sphere of influence. Those are the people that God is sending to us, not just for funsies, but also so that we might tell them the good news about our experience and then invite them to have their own experience with Jesus. Invite them to encounter this living Savior, the light of the world. And so this doesn't just happen one time. I don't know if you caught it, but we're going to read it uh, here again. But this pattern repeats itself starting in verse 43 and 44. The next day, Jesus has decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. This is pretty direct. He just says, follow me. Okay. You'll notice it didn't say, well, Philip uh, accounted for all of the costs here and he thought about it and he reconciled everything. And then he decided, well, I guess it'll be a good idea for me to follow. And then he went along. It just says he bottled him. Okay, so all of a sudden Philip's on board. But again, we see this pattern where Philip doesn't keep it to himself. No. He went out and they're all from, uh, verse 44, they're all from this same town, Bethsaida. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, uh, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip then found somebody else, somebody named Nathaniel, and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so we see this, this curiosity. Curiosity brings people to Jesus. And then Jesus calls them, come and see, calls them into deeper relationship. But then we see that invitation being extended through other people to invite other people to then experience what they've experienced with Jesus. Come and see. So we see not only the invitation piece of it, but I think that it's important for us to recognize that it says he took him to Jesus. So it's not just come and see the end, but it's really come and see with me. Come and see with me. 
I want to go with you. I want to be part of this with you. This is a journey that we're going on together. Now, how many times do we stop short of that? How many times do we just say, well, you figure out Jesus yourself, I'll figure out Jesus myself. But how many times do we at least get in these situations where there could be more? We could make the invitation, we could say, come and see, but we choose instead to just keep our mouth shut. But I want you to see how uh, Nathaniel responds, because I think this is really, it's the, listen, the Bible is oftentimes funny, and that's okay. We should be able to laugh. And so I think one of these times is in uh, verse 46, after uh, Philip goes up and starts talking about all this stuff that he's experienced with Jesus, Nathaniel's response is classic. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Now think about how appropriate that comment is for our culture today. This is how we talk to one another. Everybody thinks everybody's crazy. We don't have any idea how to determine what's true anymore, right? We don't know when people start talking if they're telling us the truth or not. So Nathaniel is surprisingly relevant today for our discussions with one another. Nazareth, could anything good come from there? Cynical, skeptical, but yet, here we go. Jesus still calls the cautious. Jesus still calls the skeptical. And maybe Nathaniel was skeptical. And maybe he was cautious because all of a sudden he's hearing all this talk about this Messiah. And maybe Nathaniel knew that, well, wait a minute. The prophets all said that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. So why are we talking about Nazareth? Maybe he just genuinely didn't understand. Well, if you were here for talking about Christmas, uh, the lead up to Christmas, we know that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem and then moved later to Nazareth. And that's all fun to know. That's information that we can know. But that's not what John, the writer here, is interested in us worrying about. He doesn't address it. He doesn't care. That's not the point. The point is that Philip responds to Nathaniel's skepticism this way. Come and see. It's the same invitation, whether you're curious or whether you're cautious or skeptical about who this Jesus is. The invitation is the same. Come and see. Don't take my word for it. Come and see for yourself. But how many times do we instead get bogged down in arguing about who has the right ideas about Jesus, who has the right ideas about God. And we stop short of inviting people to really, truly experience him. And I'm not just limiting what I'm saying to, now I want you to go invite somebody to church. That is certainly one way that we can invite people to come and see. Yes, better yet, come and see with me. What would it be like if instead of just saying, well, we've got services at 9 and 10.45, or you can watch online. What would it be like if instead we said, come and see with me. Come and see with me. I will pick you up on the way. I will feed you a meal when it's over. That might be one way that we can invite people to come and see. But what about just actually 
saying to somebody, hey, look, if you have questions about Jesus, if you want to experience Jesus, if you want to encounter Jesus, can, can I pray for you? Or can I pray with you right now? What is it like to pray for somebody to encounter or experience Jesus, maybe in a way that they've never had before? What is, what is it like to say to somebody, hey, I don't have all the answers, but what would it be like if we just sat down and searched scripture together and we just asked the Holy Spirit to come to us through the word of God that he's given us and reveal truth to us about who he is? What, what would it be like for us to encounter and experience Jesus in that way? Or what, what if we weren't maybe comfortable doing that on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but what if we invited that person into a small group of people, a small group of people that was wrestling with asking those questions and trying to seek Jesus and trying to experience and encounter him in new ways? Or, or what if we just went uh, even further than that and said, all right, if you want to know uh, how to see and experience and encounter Jesus in action, then come with me and see that in this serving opportunity that we have, where we are going to go and serve other people and be the hands and feet of Jesus. You will experience this living God in Jesus as we do this together. So I, I don't really care what form it takes, but I just, I want us to remember that having a true faith that follows Jesus is not about understanding, learning, and then conveying the right information or ideas about Jesus. We want to experience Jesus, and we want other people to experience Jesus as well. Knowing about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. And believing in Jesus is not the same as following him. Think about that. But even when we say the word following, again, we, we, we ought to make sure we're talking about the same thing. Because in an Instagram and Facebook and, and Twitter world, following somebody can be as simple as, well, I like this person, so I'm going to follow them. And so we can just kind of pop in and pop out. Oh, look what they're up to now. That's fun. And then we can click on the things that we like and, and maybe even share it with other people. Uh, but then when we run into stuff that we don't like, we just unfollow. And we scroll by. Oh, I don't really like that. And so we create this sort of mix and match. It's like the value menu at Arby's or something. We have this mix and match scenario where we want to put it together in the way that we like. But that's not what Jesus is after, because guess what? Jesus doesn't want your thumbs up. Jesus wants your whole life. He wants your whole life. He doesn't want your approval or your endorsement. He wants you to be in relationship with him, to follow him. And he knows that the new life that he's promised, the light of the world, that has come into the darkness, the light that has given us new life or gives us the chance for a new life in him is only possible through his grace and his mercy when we respond to his invitation to come and see. Doesn't just stop with, well, I'm glad you are seeing me from a distance. It also comes with, now I want you to follow me. But are we willing to follow him 
for real? Are we willing to follow him? Are we willing to be first century followers in a Facebook world? Are we willing to be first century followers in a Facebook world? Because if we say yes, then things have to change. Things have to change. No more sitting in the stands and not being in the game. No more spectating, no more observing, no more consuming from a distance. But follow him, follow him, experience him, be with him. Following Jesus for real means that we've got to pick up our own cross because we know what Jesus, from his very life, death, and resurrection, that what it really truly means to follow Jesus is to recognize that it's going to cost us something to follow Jesus. In order for us to have new life, there first has to be death to the old. In order for Jesus to be raised in his resurrection, he first needed to be crucified, died, and buried. So there's this pathway from death to new life, and it goes right through the cross of Jesus Christ. It goes through the cross of Christ, something that we can never, ever, ever do on our own. We can't fix that problem. These followers of Jesus, most of his disciples that he called, paid for that faith that follows Jesus with their lives. That faith followed Jesus all the way to their own death. Here's the amazing thing about faith that follows Jesus. It doesn't do a good job of staying dead. The faith that follows Jesus is raised to new life. That's possible for you and me right now in these moments as Jesus continues to call us to come and see, come and experience him for who he truly is. He's not an idea. He's not a concept. He's a person that wants a relationship with you. And therefore, true faith is not found in ideas. It's found in relationship with Jesus. True faith is not found in ideas or concepts or arguments. They can all, like, good ideas can point us to Jesus, but they aren't Jesus. They can encourage us to be in relationship with Jesus, but they're not the same thing as actually doing it. The only way that we have true faith that follows Jesus is being in relationship with him. Now, after I got kicked out of the surgeon's office, I knew that I needed to move from trying to lose weight through having the best ideas and instead needed to move into experiencing what that means, the change that comes with it. And so, I found a coach. I found a coach. Because again, real changes in our lives actually require someone to come alongside us and guide us. From a faith perspective, we know that's the Holy Spirit. But sometimes it, it can be other people that God is speaking through. Sometimes it can be in a small group of people. So there's an invitation that continues to go out. Wherever you're at, come and see with me means come and see no matter where you're coming from. No matter who you are or what you've done, come and see who this Jesus is. And so for me, with the weight loss thing, I needed a coach. I needed a guide. Now, I found one. And he helped me get 
all the way to where I needed to go and, and beyond. The, the surgeon was, was dumbfounded that it was even, that especially based on the previous experience. But here's the thing, if I would have said to the coach, look, I really want you to be my coach. However, there's a couple conditions. First of all, I don't want you to tell me anything I don't want to hear. And second of all, I do not want you to make me do anything I don't want to do. What would the outcome have been? Well, it would have been doomed right from the start, right? He would have said, thanks very much. I'm not even going to take your money. But isn't it interesting that that's the same way we a lot of times claim that we're following Jesus? Don't we use the same excuses? Don't we say the same things? Well, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. As long as you don't ask me to do something I don't want to do or tell me something I don't want to hear. But faith that follows Jesus surrenders all of that. The only reason I was able to make the progress I did in the weight loss thing is because the guy said to me, the only way I can help you is if you surrender everything you eat and everything you drink to me. I'll say, eat this, don't eat that. I'll say, drink this, don't drink that. You follow the plan and results will happen. In other words, he created the plan for me to experience the weight loss, even though I knew it would be hard even though I knew it would have to make everything different for me. The experience is not the same thing as the idea. And so for faith that, that truly follows Jesus, we have to recognize that it is an active thing. There's no destination where we can finally say, aha, we've fully arrived. It's a relationship. It's an ongoing relationship. If you are, are married or ever thinking about getting married and, and you have a situation where it's like, okay, well, we got married. That's the end of it. Mission accomplished. Everything's going to be great from now on. If you think that's the end of the road, no. The relationship requires us to be engaged, involved, and to experience that level of relationship with one another that, that leads us to new places. It's, it's the same kind of thing when Jesus is coming for you and saying, come and see. He's not just inviting you to be in the stands and to be an observer. He's inviting you to follow him and then also to radiate that light of hope out into a world that is so desperately lost and broken. And so today, I, I just want to ask you, where are you today? Where are you when you think about your relationship? Maybe you don't even have one yet with Jesus. Where are you? Are you cautious? Have you heard the claims of Jesus and you think, well, this all just sounds too good to be true? Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Is that your response to the claims of Jesus? Ah, I can't believe that. Well, Jesus is calling you to come and see. Or are you curious? Have you known a lot of information about Jesus? Uh, or maybe a little information about Jesus, but enough anyway that it's piqued your curiosity and you want to know more about who he is, but maybe you're kind of following from a distance, trying to sneak up on him. Well, guess what? He already knows you're there. He's going to turn around and tell you, what do you want? Why are you following me? Why are you following me? So tell him. Reach out to him. Tell him why you're following him. Because we know what his response is going to be. Come 
and see. See for yourself, experience for yourself, encounter me for yourself. Or are you a, a consumer? Have you said, well, I agree with the idea of who Jesus is and I've accepted the reality of what he's come to do, but I'm more comfortable sitting on the sidelines. I'm more comfortable not being in the game, but just instead being a spectator. Or are you somebody who says, I'm committed. I'm committed to be a follower of Jesus. Again, this is not a destination. This is something that Jesus continues to reach out and say, come and see. He continues to reach out to us and drive us into deeper and deeper personal connection and relationship with him. And so maybe today, if you are a committed follower of Jesus and you are following Jesus and you know who he is and you're experiencing him on a regular basis, maybe today is the day that you need to say, all right, Lord, what of my old me do I need to get rid of? What do I need to surrender? Because surrendering, surrendering our whole lives to Jesus, which is what it actually takes to follow him, is not comfortable. It's not fun. He will tell us things that we don't want to hear, and he will ask us to do things we don't want to do. Are we willing to follow him? Because if we are, no matter where you're coming from, no matter who you are, or what your background's been, no matter what you've done, Jesus is calling to you today, in these moments right now, saying, come and see. Come and see. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for not leaving us to figure all this out. It's not a math problem that we can finally come to the conclusion and say, aha, we did it. But instead, Lord, you invite us into relationship with you. We thank you by the power of your spirit that you are our guide. You are the one who leads us oftentimes to right where we don't want to go. But we don't do it alone, Lord. We trust that your promise is true and that you are right there with us. And so, Lord, today we ask that we become your followers by the power of your spirit, led by your grace and your mercy, that we would come to know you in a way that changes everything because we build our life on you. We build our life on who you are, how you love us. We build our life with the trust that only you can provide. We thank you.